It's the MMA Geeks C-Level Podcast with your hosts, Stan Dryav and Nick Bracha. Welcome to the MMA Geeks C-Level Podcast. This is your host, Stan Drive, with my co-host, the Calvin Cater elbow to my Chica Chigazze cheekbone. Nick, I never say that goddamn name right. Nick Braccia, how are you, Giga, my friend? Giga Chikadze. Giga Chikadze. Giga Chikadze. Giga got lit up. Man, did it get Anyway, lit up. hang on. My neck hurts. Ow, ow, ow. Oh, it's because of this crown on my head. <laughs> oh, Nick. It's heavy. It's heavy being champion. In the lead. Woo. Styling, profiling, wheeling, dealing, <laughs> kiss-stealing son of a gun. It's great. It's great to be on top. I like it, Nick. You are leading officially by one point after the first event. Uh, what, what are we? Is it uh, four points to three? Is that it? Yeah, there was only ten fights. Four yeah, points it was to four three, and Nick. one. Uh, y- yes, sir. I, I ended up. Um, it's funny we disagreed on that Jake Collier Chase Sherman fight from last week. Oh, uh, it's so stupid. Yep. We also disagreed on the Bonter and Royval fight. Uh, that that one was actually pretty close. Um, went to Royval. So one I was correct on, one you were correct on. I think we were both seven and three on our overall picks. Uh, but you did get a point ahead of me, which is fantastic. Good work for you, Nikolai. I like I like working from behind. I like being I don't a need scrappy underdog. It's not pity, boy, brother. I'm I'm looking for a challenge, Nick. And you know what? This time you've started giving me a challenge. This is a really good start. Oh. I'm so excited, Nick. I'm psyched. We'll see. We got 52 weeks to go. Let's see if I've got the stamina. I <laughs> I think you've got it in you. You're, you're a guy that comes on late anyway. You're, you're kind of like a kind of like a pressure fighter, Nick. Your game doesn't start working right away. Uh, in a fight, but we do have uh, some pretty big things to discuss. UFC 270 coming up this weekend, main evented by Cyril Gaon and Francis Ngannou for the quote-unquote unification, but you know, for the heavyweight title, and then we're going to talk about last week's UFC fight night Cater versus Chikadze, in which it was a pretty great main event, you know, considering it's one event, it's I guess it's a fight of the year contender, but overall, a card that, you know, didn't necessarily need to happen per se, could have been uh, set out a little bit differently. I'm looking at the cancellations nick there are yeah there were like big. 12 cancellations or, or or changes on this fight so it started off being a decent fight card it just slowly devolved into what it became so let's talk about last week's main event nick calvin cater giga chikadze um basically a lot of us i think expected cater to be a fraction of his former self after the kind of beating that he took from max holloway literally a year ago right but he did the right things he took that full year off he came back and i think uh, this actually includes me as uh, I was, I was, uh, he got me, uh, Giga Chikadze did right with his Edson Barboza cup swans and knockouts. He made me believe that he was, that he was just on another level now that he was at a different comfort zone. But one thing I did not pay enough attention to, and I should have, and I fought myself for this is how much effort he puts into every strike that he throws. Right. I mentioned last week that he's not going to finish Calvin Cater early. He's not likely to finish him over five rounds based on what we saw last time from Cater, right? So it it would require for him to really do well over the course of five rounds to win at least three of those rounds. But the amount of effort that he puts into every one of his strikes, it's impossible to go hard for even three rounds, let alone five, right? And so I expected him to pace himself a bit more. I expected him to stay kicking range, use his footwork. Uh, similar fashion to the way that Calvin Cater lost his other, uh, his first two UFC fights uh, to Hanaro Maikano and Zabit Magomed Sharipov, I expected 
the footwork and the kicks to play a factor for the fight to stay a kicking range. But Cater came in here prepared, man. He took the six months off completely from contact, right? He, he didn't take any shots for six months following that Holloway fight. He then spent the next six months working on those deficiencies. He clearly has changed his style, realizing that what has worked against him with Zabit and Hanato is the fact that they were able to employ their footwork and stay out of his range. Pressure was going to be the answer against the kicker because a kicker needs to set his feet before throwing it at you, right? And if they're constantly backing up, it's incredibly difficult to kick you effectively, especially for a guy like Kiga Chikaze, who needs a little bit uh, of room to, to land. If you're going to stay in his face, you're going to have success. Um, I thought Giga won the first round by a small margin because he was just throwing bombs. But the amount of effort that he was putting into every shot basically not only got him to be tired way quicker than he could have been, but it also made him lose his balance several times. He was literally falling over by throwing jabs and counter hooks and, and, and left hands. Um, so really what we saw was that a mainstay at 145, a true top level featherweight beat an up and comer, uh, kept the gate to the top five, quite frankly. And it was really impressive on Calvin Cater's part between his jabs, which were always consistent. His right hands were solid. His elbows were a new trick. He threw plenty of body shots. I would have loved to see even more of those. So really, really high level performance by the 33 year old Cater who, who knows, man, a couple, uh, another win or two. It's not like this division's so figured out that there's a clear cut number one contender with Volkanovski having beaten so many guys. Uh, uh, Cater might be up for a title shot in the next fight or two. Yeah. Um, I mean, we learned we learned a little bit that Giga Chikadze fight, he fights a bit like he tweets. He's been he's been uh, he's kind of a hothead. You know, he said some he said some dumb stuff on Twitter before the fight. He um, he was, you know, going after Volkanovsky, going after Zombie, going after Qatar, even after the fight, going going after um Zombie. I believe zombie. Yeah. And he's just, it's just like Giga, like slow down, relax. But yes, I thought like you did and like many others did that Chikadze would be able to keep this fight at kicking range and um, really do damage with his, with his precision. But that, that wasn't it. He fought, uh, he did, he fought kind of hot headed. And like you said, uh, Qatar had the answer which was which was continuous pressure, not letting not letting Giga sit. He is, I think, it's fair to say, the superior uh, the superior boxer. And I think Qatar probably in his hands and in his elbows has a bit more pop. Although Chikadze isn't powerless in his hands, right? Um, I believe he you know he knocked down uh, Bar, you know Barbosa with a punch, but so so you know so did Jamie Varner. Um, I think that um, yeah, I think that Qatar just fought fought a, a great fight, and it's anyone who anyone who thought that he was done uh, following uh, the Holloway uh, kind of fiasco has to uh, eat their words. Yeah, the again, the mistake I made, partially at least, was going under the assumption that Qatar was going to be mentally affected significantly more from that fight a year ago. And you're right, Chikadze does have some power in his hands, but it's because of the amount of effort that he puts into every punch. It's kind of like Deontay Wilder in that third fight, uh, in the last fight with Tyson Fury, where he looked great early. He was throwing heavy, heavy shots with everything he threw, right? But you can tell that he wasn't going to be able to keep that up for 12 rounds. Nobody can. Look at that, and Qatar's not as, as one to Like, we, never, all those guys out of Boston, we talk about from that gym, we talk about their hands, we talk about their hands. But, you know, the, the tide of this fight... Uh, shifted when Qatar got, you know, got a takedown. Like he, he's a, <coughs> I think that because his hands are so good um, that maybe we don't give him credit for being as well, as well-rounded uh, as he is. So it's, uh, 
yeah, you know, it was what this was a Chikaze thought he was storming the gate and he got lit up. This happens sometimes. Yeah, I'm sure it was, you're right. I'm sure it was a factor that Cater was able to get top position in that first round. He went for some takedowns later in the fight as well. And Cater, like he historically has gone for takedowns in situations where it's toward the end of a close round. He wants to secure it. So he goes for that late takedown. Um, in this case, it paid dividends in a different way because as much as uh, Giga is talented, right, on the ground, he's not that experienced. He's still a guy that just, what, what was it? Two and a half, three years ago, lost to a guy named Austin Springer by rear naked choke on Dana White Contender Series. Austin Springer is a guy who came in and I believe, uh, like he had his USC debut in 2020, lost to Alexis Harrison. That was it in the first round. So like the guy's not very high level. The guy at this point is three and three in his last six, right? That's a guy that he lost to in 2018. So, you know, again, a lot of the signs were there. I should have seen the amount of effort that he was putting into every punch. I thought he would be more patient and I thought he would use his footwork more. He didn't, man. He really believed in his power. He believed in his hype that he himself created. And you made really good points. He talked so much trash about calling Volkanovski out for for taking the fight against Zombie instead of waiting for this fight to happen because Chigadze was sure that he was going to walk out with a spectacular win in this one. And instead, he ended up looking bad, right? He disrespected Korean Zombie uh, in saying that Volkanovski picked the easier fight. And then Korean Zombie just basically like posted like I think he just posted like an emoji of some sort with a reaction to the fight, and Chikaze gets back uh, gets back at him says f you or whatever like dude you you just you disrespected him first not only that but um, you then lost the fight and you like he made a statement about how he would have beaten him nine out of ten times and this was just the one time he would have won that could be said by Edson Barboza in his loss to uh, Chikaze. Right, like if you get caught early, um, you can say that. You can't say that if you were ravaged over five rounds. If you were just beat the fuck up, it's like makes about as much sense as Calvin Cater saying that about Max Holloway that he would have beaten him nine out of ten times, and that was Max's one time. So yeah, Giga seems like a lot less likable than I think a lot of us expected. He can be interesting post fight, but when he talks trash, especially if you're not able to back it up, man, like that's risky. If Conor McGregor talked all the trash he did early in his UFC career and then lost to every contender he fought, right, he would have just been a fool. But you have to win if you're going to talk that kind of shit, man. There's also good trash talk and bad trash talk. The best trash talker at 145 the last three weeks has been Henry Cejudo, who's never fought at 145. <laughs> he had the funniest. I mean, first he burned he burned Connor um, really bad when <laughs> when he called him like a little uh, Connor called Cejudo like a little fart. Right. And and Cejudo responded, "What do you know about farts? You always run out of gas." <laughs> and then he. Uh, and then he got Volkanovski so good. Volkanovski was like, you know, you're you're a great fighter, Zudo, but you're coming, you, but you you know you've been retired, you can't come back. And Zudo wrote, "I respect you too, Volkanovski, even if you look like somebody left Matt Sarah in the dryer for too long." <laughs> <laughs> and like, Zudo's winning. Zudo's the most entertaining fighter at 145 right now. Yeah, I know he's a he's a retired guy who hasn't fought at the weight class. Yeah, it's it's pretty funny. This whole retirement thing is silly. Like. Clearly, this is an angle that he took in order to get paid more by the UFC. Clearly, he did not mean it when he said it. Nobody believed that he meant when he said it. The UFC didn't believe it. And that's why they called this bluff. And they basically stripped him almost like weeks later. Uh, so, who do, he's going to end up in one. He's going to end up. He's not, mark my words. He, I get, actually, I can't remember if Demetrius Johnson won his last fight or not. I thought he had a fight after that loss. But I think Sohudo's next fight will be in one. Um, I, I can't imagine how. Like, would the UFC trade him away? 
He reti- oh, because he still has fights on his contract. Right, right. Yeah, you're not getting out of that. Man, th- those, con- uh, those fights, I forgot about that. Those UFC contracts are so rough. Francis Ngannou, if he wins this weekend, Nick, this might be the quote-unquote last fight on his contract. If he wins this weekend, the UFC has the option of offering him three fights over the next uh, year, right? So, like, it is incredibly difficult to get out of a UFC contract. It is almost purely in the UFC's favor just about every way. And in this case as well, Henry Cejudo is just stuck. He's a pound for pound great. He's, in my opinion, like I've never considered him retired. He's, in my opinion, one of the greatest current day fighters, right? As far as his accomplishments. Yeah, but he's we're, miss, we're missing all these amazing potential years of fights. I know, I know. And the, the, the Volkanovski fight, I am very intrigued by that. These are two extremely high level. These are maybe two of the best pound for pound fighters in the sport right now, him and Volkanovski. It's been it's been almost two years since he beat since he beat Cruz, That's and right. it was a year it was a year before that that he beat Moraes. Yeah, yeah, I, I get that. But again, like he's still relatively young. He's still in the game. He's still training. He's still training fighters. Um, he, he's he's almost like gone the Khabib light route. But again, nobody believes him when he says he's retired. You know how Dana White didn't believe Khabib, but Dana White quote unquote pretended like he believed Henry Cejudo. Should have been the other way around. Khabib was committed to his retirement. Henry clearly did not mean it by any means. Yeah, I mean Henry's thirty. Henry's thirty four now. Like he's not a, and he's about to be thirty five. He's yeah. not that much young. I mean, he's only a little bit younger than Dominic Cruz, to be honest. Uh, like, you're right, but he doesn't have the kind of miles on him, and a lot of that just comes down to genetics. You're making a the, good point. And the same age as Dillashaw. That's right. Yeah. That's right. And, and again, Dillashaw is another guy who has a lot of miles. Cejudo hasn't been like roughed up a whole lot in his career. Like, I'm not saying he has no, lost or he, he hasn't got beat by, He got beat by a body shot. You know, yeah, uh, in the first round by Demetrius Johnson, right? This was way, uh, way earlier in his career. He was not ready for that level of competition at the at that moment. Clearly, he was destined for that level, but uh, wasn't ready at the time. It was a prospect loss. Like I, I don't hold that against him. And then he he got touched up by Marlon Marais for a bit. Like it wasn't a rough fight. He just got touched up for a round and a half, maybe two rounds. And then he took over after that. So overall, man, the guy has not taken a lot of punishment. He doesn't have a lot of miles on him, and he's staying in the game. I I have no reason to assume that he's not staying healthy and eating healthy and all that. But Let's get back to uh, quickly going over this UFC fight night before we break down UFC 270. Nick, uh, co-main event, Jake Collier, Chase Sherman. You and I disagreed on this one, and I know like not, you know you don't feel super strongly about it. I just feel like Collier is like a pretty good uh, fighter, and Chase Sherman is absolutely now. terrible. One of these guys seems like he wants to be an MMA fighter, and the other one doesn't. So absolutely, that's it. <laughs> Chase Chase Sherman is just mediocre at best, and he trains with a good cap at Stanford MMA. There's really no excuse for having no heart and not much conditioning and. Like he just doesn't have the attributes that a high-level fighter needs. Uh, split decision win, Brandon Royval over Rogerio Monterin. This was a high-level 125-pound fight. Really entertaining, man. So fun to watch. Um, and extremely close, right? Like it's one of those fights where y- it could easily go either way. Like I'm not complaining, even though I disagree with the decision, because I genuinely believed either guy could walk away with this. It was a split for good reason. And, um, you know, they were split, although I think the majority had it in favor of Roy Val on MMA decisions. They were split there as well. Uh, Brandon Roy Val, you know, he just did, did a little bit more damage, even though Bonturin was the stronger wrestler, even though he was able to get those top positions and his just constant forward pressure. Uh, I think it, it sticks around in judges' minds, and uh, and that and and that's how it kind of worked out. Uh, really good fight, man. I'm I'm eager to see both of these guys fight again. But Bonturin, man, on a bit of a rough patch considering his talent level, for him to go kind of uh, training wins and losses the way he has been lately, one and three in his last three fights, he's way better than that. It's a it's a shame, honestly. But I, I hope the UFC gives him a little bit of a softer landing in this next fight. And who do you see? Where do you see Rival going next? 
Roy Vall, I mean, you, you got to say going up, right? His losses so far are to really, like, pretty much elite competition. Um, I I would not complain. Uh, I know he lost to... Um, he he lost to uh, who was it? Uh, who's that wild man? Uh, Pantoja and Moreno, right? Like, not a whole lot to be ashamed of in those matchups. And then when it comes to tough fighters, I guess like maybe if you want to give him something on the on the softer side, you can give him Matt Schnell if you want to like build him up a little bit. Um, outside of that, man, like he's not not ready for top top competition. Like uh, Askar Askarov's probably going to get a title shot sometime soon, but um, somebody like Alex Perez, uh, I know he's I think he's got a fight scheduled, or he did, and, and maybe it was maybe it was um, taken off the schedule for whatever reason. Alex Perez, I think, is exactly the right kind of fight for him, a for, former title contender, really successful UFC fighter. Uh, Mateos Nicolau would not complain about either. I think Schnell, Nicolau, and uh, Perez are really good options for him. I won't be surprised if the UFC puts him up against Cody. Uh, Cody no love. Yeah. Um, yeah, but you think he's? Yeah, he did say he wants to continue to fight at one twenty five. Yeah. Cody, that would, Cody's that would like Cody's like a Cerrone now. They're gonna tra- they're gonna trade off of his name as best they can. Right. And if Cody is smart, he's gonna take a fucking year off, man. Like you're thirty years old, you want to keep doing this? Take your time. Cater did, and it paid off. Take your fucking time. Your brain needs to heal. You've been getting roughed up and jumping right back in for so long. Uh, but yeah, I, I think Alex Perez would be my number one uh, fight for him. And Bonturin, man, like a uh, softer landing. The guy's really talented. I'd, I'd love to see him still compete with some of the best. Um, like I don't know, maybe it's hard. This division is really stacked. We got Tagirulam Bekov at number 15, Manel Kappa number 14. Like these guys could one day be in the top three, t- top two. Uh, you've got maybe Tim Elliott for uh, for Bonturin. Um, he's number 12, and, and that's a fight that can kind of set his course a little bit. Um, not too rough of a matchup. Um, David Dvorak is another option for him. Uh, but I don't know that we need to just really go deep on a lot of the other fights on this one. Shukagian fought out the last fighter in her contract. The UFC doesn't seem interested in fighting her, so she's probably going to end up in Bellator and maybe being champion there. Got a win over Jennifer Maya, pretty uh, uh, pretty convincing win. Um, outside of that, Bill Algio, that's the, the that's that one that was close on paper. It was competitive, but Algio uh, worked it out. My my other wrong pick, Nick, was Joseph Holmes over Jamie Pickett. I talked about how Jamie Pickett's really talented. He's got like a lot of the physical attributes you would want, but mentally he's not there because he doesn't he doesn't fire. He just like sometimes has this extreme low output and doesn't do enough to win these fights, win decisions. He did enough in this one. He actually was aggressive. He's realized, I think, the error in his ways and in, in his fighting style and his mental game that was costing him. And he's fixed it, which is great to see. Uh, Court McGee got a gritty freaking win over Ramiz Rahimaj. Uh, Nick, I don't think there's a whole lot else to cover. you have any uh, other thoughts on this card? No, not really. I'm just excited to get into the discussion about uh, two title fights this weekend. Let's do it, man. We've got some exciting stuff coming up. Uh, Let's take a break. We're going to come back and break down UFC 270, headlined by Francis Ngannou and Cyril Gaon for the UFC heavyweight title. Back on the podcast, and we're going to break down UFC 270. Uh, a decent card overall, Nick. Also kind of affected by some pullouts. It looks like there were, what, like 
seven or eight fights that that were changed or rescheduled or canceled for this event, but still some names to deal with. Um, a, a lot of lopsided odds on this one compared to last week, right? There's there's very few fights that are yeah, like within some by by virtue of the late replacement factor. True, true. That, that's a very good point. Uh, but we got Francis Ngannou, Cyril Gan, guys who've trained together in the past, who come from the same coach. Who I assume who they started their MMA careers with, uh, Nganu, like they, they took this path kind of divergently. Whereas Nganu plied his trade mostly in the UFC over the course of you know something like fourteen fights or something. Uh, Cyril Gan, just a handful of UFC fights. I think seven fights into his UFC career at this point, he's reached this peak. He's reached this point. A really impressive man. One guy is super technical. One guy is super powerful. Um, I'm looking forward to breaking this down, but I have the first pick this time. Nick, you are one point ahead in our draft competition. We each take turns, of course, picking fights on the upcoming card. Uh, we break them down at the end of Saturday night. Whichever of us has picked more winning fighters, uh, we end up tallying the points and going from there. As of right now, you're up a point. For my first pick, I'm going to take... I'm going to go ahead and take Honey Barcelos to beat Victor Henry, Nick. I think Victor Henry's a really tough guy. He's a gritty guy. He's got a lot of the skills. He's got the heart, right? He's not going to give in. He's not going to stop trying. He's learned uh, over the course of his career to to put all of his strengths together to be a successful regional fighter, at least. And I think he'll have some success in the UFC, but this is a rude welcoming man. Honey Barcelos is a legitimate, legitimate high-level fighter. He is excellent hands, really good wrestling Excellent Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. His top game is nasty with his ground and pound, right? He's got so many things going for him. He has only that one loss in the UFC. Outside of that, I think he's 5-1 and one in the UFC. He's coming off that loss to Timur Valio of a, a competitive fight, man. That could have could have really gone either way. Uh, but I, I like him against this UFC debuting fighter. Um, Barcelos is 34 years old, and they're treating him like a 25-year-old prospect, it seems like. They just keep giving him these kind of tough matchups that aren't like big names, that aren't quite at the highest level just yet. And he keeps disposing of them for the most part, right? Uh, Said Nurmagomedov he beat. He beat uh, Kalita, Chris Gutierrez, right? These are some, like, solid, solid names. Uh, prior to his UFC career, he beat Bobby, Bobby Muffett and Dan Murray, former UFC fighters. Um, and he's getting finishes over some of these guys, man. He's he's really high level. I think he's going to do really well against Victor Henry here, uh, who's making his UFC debut in, in kind of a rude fashion. He is, but I think you're, I think you're marginalizing Henry a bit too much. He turns to Josh Bartnett you know, catch wrestling style, but he's, uh, he's a tenacious guy. And I mean, you mentioned regional, but he's not like a regional U S fighter. This is a guy with multiple fights and wins in, in reason he's fought in deep. He's fought in King of the cage, like uh, Pancrase multiple, multiple fights earlier in the, in the decade. So I do think, you know, wins over guys like Kyler Phillips, like he's, um, it's split decision, but still, um, you know, I, th- I think he's I agree I completely agree with the pick. It probably would have been my second pick, but I don't think this guy's uh, I don't think Victor Henry's a walk in the park and I think he's a bit I think that his resume is while not a UFC a UFC resume is certainly a level up from the guys that are fighting in the regional scene around. Oh uh, yeah, States. that's fair. I mean, when I say regional, I mean the the Japanese kind of scene which is like decent, like some pretty good opposition, not the biggest guys, not the most athletic for the most part, but some skilled fighters there for sure. You're making fair points. What is your first pick, my friend? My first pick is in one of the in the uh, the fight that uh, changed um, recently. I got to go with Ilya Tapuria, the the Georgian fighter, against um, the recent new contract signee uh, Charles Jord- Air Jordan, coming off of um, just a little bit over, actually exactly a month ago, 
uh, an impressive win over Andre Ewell. Um, I don't know what they offered him to take this fight on short notice, but first fight of a new contract, like, I hope they gave him a big incentive because on one month, like, coming off of a, a, a three-round fight in one month, even if he was successful in it, like, going up against an undefeated, like, just beast that's ranked, um, you know, that, that's, I think, higher ranked and higher thought of uh, than him. Like, cre- I don't know. It's just, it's just, it's just crazy. Like, I think Ilya Tapor is could um, start out Jordan's new UFC contract in, uh, a, in, in very negative and brutal fashion. I think Tapori is just like, we haven't really, we have not seen any weaknesses from this guy. Um, he's just, he's a scary, he's a scary, scary dude. And we've seen that while Jordan can be explosive, he does his, his, uh, striking defense is not, um, is not real good. He's not amazing at even at staying on his feet. If he's against a tenacious wrestler, like, I think I think Deporia is going to turn him into. A uh, yeah, look, I, I I agree with you on the pick. Um, this was if it wasn't going to be the the Barcelos fight, this was going to be uh, obviously my first pick. If not for that one, the reason that I ranked this one below is just because Charles Jordan really is tenacious, man. And if Ilya Deporia, if he starts to wear down a little bit over the course of the fight, and if he doesn't finish Jordan early, Jordan has a shot at coming back and looking good toward the end. But man, he's a vicious power pressure striker Jordan is right he seems like he values being entertaining more than most things really but his game is developing I think in a positive direction but Taporia is on a different league man he's my favorite prospect in the sport vicious striking excellent wrestling really good grappling he's athletic he's fast he hits hard um he's also pretty defensively minded right defensive is responsible I guess uh there are a few guys that put I would not pick him over in this division I think this is uh too much too soon for Jordan who has uh, unreliable takedown defense. His ground game isn't his strength. And like you said, his his striking defense isn't amazing, amazing either. So I think Teporia has multiple avenues to win here. And to be honest with his standing, like there's some risk for Teporia. I, I think as long as he gets takedowns and, and does his thing, he should, he should have his way here. Uh, I agree with you on the pick. My next one is going to be uh, between a couple of UFC debutants, the Jack Della Madalena versus Pete Rodriguez matchup. Um, Jack Della is a, he's a slow starter. He's an Australian fighter. But he does like he he pours it on, man. If he sees a moment of weakness in you, if he sees that he's hurt you, if he sees that you're starting to tire, he's going to put it the heck on you, man. He was supposed to fight Warley Alves in his UFC debut, and uh, and literally on like three or four days no four days notice, Pete Rodriguez took this fight. Pete's like four and zero. He's athletic. He's strong. He's powerful. He's young. But he has no business fighting in the UFC, man. Like this is way too like short notice. This is way too early in his career. I think uh, Madalena's. Uh, experience will come in to fruition here, but Pete Rodriguez has power and Jack is a slow starter. So there's definitely some risk here. Yeah, I'm with you on the pick. Um, my, uh, my next one is I may, I may end up regretting this. Um, but I, I, I will bet that Hidalfo Vieira will get, uh, will get Wellington Terman down um during the fight and and be able to finish it this is really one of those cases of like is is Vieira gonna is he gonna gas is he gonna I don't think Terman's gonna be able to um knock him out or anything in the first you know in the first round but is is Vieira gonna be able to get the fight uh, where he needs to to win uh, for Terman a guy that's that's eaten a lot of offense in the last 18 months uh to two years and had some scary knockouts um, he's, pro- you know, it's nice to be fighting a guy who probably isn't going to yeah. give him brain damage, but, um, but still, 
it's a tough it's a tough draw because I you know I don't care who you are if if he gets your back or or um, is able to drag you to the ground you're going to be uh, you're going to be yeah I tend to agree with you I, I do seem some risk in that like Terman when he loses it tends to be my knockout and Vera like you said is not likely to to have that kind of effect although he's a strong athletic guy he might just land a bomb. Um, Terman's like biggest strength, I think, is his ground game. And so there's a chance he might survive the first round, round and a half before taking over because he is pretty well conditioned before taking over in the second half of the fight. So I see an avenue of victory, but I think you're right. I think realistically, Vera gets a takedown and probably taps him in the first round. It's just if he doesn't, the wheels could start to fall off shortly after for him. Uh, I agree with you on the pick. Um, next, I'm going to take in the K. Hansen Jasmine Jusa Davicious matchup. Jusa Davicious, Nick. That's that's a pretty badass sounding n- name if I'm pronouncing it even halfway right. So Hansen is like she's honestly a serious prospect coming off a long layoff uh, after a controversial decision loss to Corey McKenna uh, over a year ago. She's a grappler with some strength and tenacity, and that can carry you pretty far in that uh, in, in some of these women's divisions. Jasmine hasn't looked impressive in a while, even though she's making her UFC debut. Generally prefers to kind of clinch and grapple, but Hansen should be far better there. I think Hansen uh, is going to win a decisive 15 minutes in this one. This was a tougher a tougher pick for me. Um, the people on the on the kind of like Canadian scene are high on on Jasmine, but I like Kay Hansen also. So I was gonna. I was mulling this one over and I'm grateful that you picked it and not me. But if uh, you put a gun to my head, eh, I mean, it's not my pick, so I can say whatever I want. I, I would have gone the opposite. Um, oof, this is a tough car. What do I want? All right. I'm going to go like, all right. Cody, Cody Stamen is, we say this about so many guys and it's a cliche. He's a, he's a tough dude, but I think that um, I think that the blueprint for beating him is uh, a couple different blueprints for beating him uh, have been established, and that this is a I think this is a fight where he's going to be spending most of his time def- trying to defend against uh, Nurmagomedov versus you know being a versus being able to kind of like dictate where where the fight happens and applying his own. Um, his own game. I just, I think that Barcelos, a guy who defeated Nurmagomedov, this uh, Saeed Nurmagomedov, um, is such a creative, explosive, uh, diverse striker who can do so much from range. And I think that Stamen's coming up against a guy who has, who has similar strengths to him, just like better. Yeah, I, I definitely see where you're coming from on this pick. Um, Stamen being like the just mostly offensive wrestler. He has decent standup, like not high level, not elite by any means, but pretty decent standup. It's developing. Once he fights an elite fighter, though, he looks like he's a level below. That's pretty clear. Whereas Norm Magomedov is kind of on his way up. He's 3-1 in the UFC. Like you said, that one loss to Honey Barcelos was a close decision. It was very competitive early in his UFC, in Norm Magomedov's UFC career, right? He's known for his wrestling, but in the UFC, we've largely seen him rely on his striking. He's a pretty tall, rangy guy for 135. Uh, I think this will be like more competitive maybe than the odds suggest. Stamen will need takedowns and top control to win the fight. Standing, I think it's just not on level with Norma Gomedov. It sounds like Stamen has been focusing on making his ground and pound more lethal over the last few months following that loss. Um, so if Saeed has not been training with any high-level wrestlers, there's absolutely an avenue for Stamen to win. Sounds like Saeed's been training in the tri-state area, Nick, and like 
Mark Henry, who like made a stop at, but isn't like his regular coach. Sounds like he trains in some obscure gym in Brooklyn, which is a little bit concerning, to be honest with you, right? He's got no legitimately high-level training partners, no serious wrestlers to train with for this fight. I could see there being concern, but him being Dagestani, him being known for his wrestling prior to his UFC uh, run, I expect that his solid takedown defense will come through, and then his skill and speed edge standing uh, should win him a uh, Somewhat competitive decision here. So I agree with you on the pick, although a little bit lower on my list. Next, I'm going to pick from the Michelle Pereira, Andre Fialo matchup, Nick. Uh, this one should be interesting, man. Both of these guys are are pretty powerful, pretty explosive individuals. Uh, Fialo is a Sanford MMA fighter, um, heavy hands and elbows. Pretty good overall striking, I would say. Stocky kind of brick house frame, but he's also fairly tall. He's six feet tall for 170, right? Not a small guy. Can go a little bit low output at times and can be overwhelmed by like a crafty big man that can match his physicality. And that's exactly what Pereira is, right? Um, looks like a goddamn action figure. Fights like one a lot of the time, although he's been a lot more patient lately. He's been conserving his energy more, which has been to his success. And that's why he's riding this three-fight winning streak. Both are large, powerful welterweights. Fialo does well when he is physically superior between his takedown defense and power. But Pereira's bigger, faster, hits about as hard. He's also pretty durable, pretty patient lately. Fialo uh, lost to a similar Brazilian in late 2020, and I don't see why kind of a better version with UFC experience wouldn't have the advantage, especially since Fialo is making his UFC debut on relatively short notice. But um, Pereira better be as careful as he was against Chaos Williams, right? Fialo has serious power in his hands and elbows, so uh, as long as Pereira takes him seriously, he should walk away with a, with a clear-cut decision If not, uh, in this one, I think. Was he a back? Uh, I I hope not, Nick. Uh, like like that version of him needs to stay the fuck in the past because he's a successful fighter. He's a talented, man. He has all the makings of a top flight welterweight as long as he keeps his shit together. But I I wouldn't mind seeing it. Don't get me wrong. It's it's his career. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You said I'm I'm with you. Um, I'm gonna go with the co-main event. I I know Davidson Figueroa has changed camps. Um, I. I think that over the course of their fight, their two fights, the tide turned. And I don't know that Figueredo is going to be able to turn it back psychologically. And I don't know that he's going to – I. it's just at this point, what is this – what is cutting to 125 done to his body? And can he cut to 125 and beat a guy as tenacious, as creative, and as healthy at that weight as Brandon Moreno seems to be? Now, yes, Brandon Reyna, the first uh, the first Mexican UFC champion. Apologies to Cain Velasquez, who, although of Mexican heritage, is born here. Right. 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 Um, uh, I, you know, I don't know what kind of victory lap Moreno's been doing the last however many months. Um, if he's been doing like a lot of TV and doing kind of the Rocky thing, where he's he's not uh, he's not kind of like on it as much. But I just think that the momentum the momentum sits with Moreno Figueredo is the guy that has to prove something now. And I think it's going to be close. I think this is going to be a close decision, but I think this time the decision um, is going to favor Moreno who is just showing and fighting with the poise of a champion and their second fight. Figueredo was urgent, uh, fought sloppily uh, with urgency. He got, uh, he just got he got out slicked, and I don't. I've I've really waffled on this over the course of the week, 
but I think Moreno, Moreno is now the healthier, stronger, more creative fighter at this weight class. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting how by a mar by like a small margin, right? Um, that first fight was super close, except I thought clearly um, Figueroa had the edge. Um, I shouldn't say clearly, but I thought Figueroa had the edge in three of the five rounds. Moreno looked really good in that matchup, though, and leading into that matchup, right? Moreno wasn't sure if he was on that level. He thought he was climbing a mountain. I think following that matchup, you realized he is on that level. He is every bit good enough. And I think the mental edge that he took from that first fight really helped him in the second fight. To be fair, it looked like Moreno was not quite there, man. He, he looked like he wasn't himself. He wasn't fighting on like himself. It's almost like he was trying to become more technical, which some fighters have done, like Caitlin Chukagian, who, you know, decided to stay more in the pocket, which can work against mid-level people, but it won't work against the very best. Um, and it seems like Figueredo's making that transition, maybe, especially switching to fight ready MMA uh, training with Henry Cejudo and, and the crew there in Arizona. That's, you know, th- that's the interesting thing. The weight cut is a factor, right? The mystique for uh, Figueredo is gone in this matchup that he previously had against a lot of his opponents and that Mystique has helped him, right? Like that, that's gone a long way. Moreno just ran through him in the last fight. So that Mystique is not there anymore. Uh, I think Moreno's wrestling is going to be a big factor. I mentioned it leading into the last fight. Moreno can get takedowns almost at will against Figueredo. It's just a question of, can he keep him down? And I think he's made the adjustments that he needed to make to keep him down. I'm sure Figueredo is going to work on ways to get up even from those situations. Um, and the Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu is very close, in my opinion. The guy on top is going to have the edge in, in, when it comes to that. And the guy with wrestling is more likely to be on top. So the ground game, I think, edge goes to uh, Moreno, goes to the champion. The striking is tricky because I think Moreno's more technical. He's more consistent. He's more high output. Uh, he has a much better jab. He's He's more disciplined, but the power, right? Like Moreno could land three or four or five shots, and then Figueroa lands one shot, and it looks like it has a real effect on Moreno. Even though Moreno is a fantastic chin, both of these guys do. Both of these guys are pretty durable. Um, I agree with you on the pick. Um, it's it, Figueroa's power in training with Henry Cejudo could be enough to earn a decision. For that reason, I see value in Figueroa as an underdog. If you put a prop bet on Figueroa by decision, you get plus 450 odds. I think that's a fucking steal because I, I I agree with you. I think it'll be a competitive decision. Could potentially go either way. I think Figueroa has a lot of the physical gifts he needs, um, and he could right the ship here and continue to hold on to the title for a little bit. But again, I do have concerns about him cutting down to 125, about the wrestling matchup in, the, in this case. I agree with you about Moreno. Surprising how much of a favorite he is. Um, I think that definitely there's some value on uh, on a decision prop bet on uh, Figueredo here, but I do agree with you on the pick. My next one, Nick, is going to be in the Tony gravely Samon oliveira matchup. Gravely is, I mean, man, there, there is some serious risk here because Gravely is not the most durable guy in the world, but he's a wrestler with good hands, lost his debut in a war with uh, top 15 fighter Brett Johns, lost his last fight uh, by getting caught. Um He's lost by submission a couple of times in his career. Like, he's not an elite, elite guy, right? But Samon may be a prospect, but this is a tough first matchup, I think, in the UFC. His takedown defense isn't great, and Gravely, I think, can feast on that. But Gravely tends to get tired, and his chin isn't rock solid. So Oliveira has a shot here since he has a really solid counter game. He has good timing. Um, I like Gravely to keep it together enough to win a decision here, especially given the experience advantage that he has in the UFC. But, you know, there's risk here, and it could go the other way if Gravely's chin and cardio don't hold up. <clears throat> Yeah, I tend to agree with you that his, that his chin's going to hold up, even if he hits the canvas. You know, I could see him getting put on his ass once or twice. Um, but I think he'll... I had him as well. Um, we've got how many left now? 
We've got just a handful of fights. Let me see here. Four fights three. left, and I think we're only picking three of them. Okay. So that we just get the t- uh, uh, same number of picks. Got it. Fuck. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go with the main event. Talk to me. Um, I'm going to pick. Oh God. I'm gonna pick Cyril Gunn to become the the new heavyweight champion. Tell me more, Nick. Uh, of the world. I uh, I trust I trust him and his trainer Lopez. I think they know uh, Ngannou's weaknesses. I think Ngannou has shown um, just sort of an arrogance and an, and an aloofness. And he's, you know, he looked really good against the diminished, skinny Stipe. But Stipe was also able to roll with all those punches until he ran into one. Um, I think that Gan is is bigger and and uh, a bit more durable. I also think that Gan can be successful in this fight while taking fewer risks than Stipe has has to. Um, I don't think that if Ngannou just tries to pressure and wail, I think Gan should be able to avoid it early, and that technique, that old school Ngannou approach, will lead to him getting gas and picked apart. So I think Ngannou could very much win in the in the first round uh, if he lands that big shot. It's just Gan is, you know, Gan has felt the power. Gan has been in there with him. There is there is not uh, as much Ngannou mystique, uh, knowing that these are training partners who know one another extremely well. Um, I think that, you know, Gan, I think Gan's kicks uh, to the body are potentially going to be super, you know, potentially going to be super, super draining. And the fact that Ngannou, I know it's it's pre-fight trash talk is saying things like, you know, don't, don't come out and try to point fight. It's like, well, I mean, what, what does that mean? How about, how about Ngannou be ready to defend your title no matter <laughs> No matter what the guy does, who's trying to take it from? Yeah, um, I think uh, you know it's listen. It's Francis and Ganu, so like anything can happen. But Cyril Gan, for his he's only been training MMA for four years, yep. five years, yep. which is insane. Um, but it's not like you know it's 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 not like it's he's going to be facing Cain Velasquez, uh, you know, power doubles. Um, so. I think I just think that Gan I think that Gan has more tools, and I actually won't be surprised if he knocks out Ngannou. Uh, yeah, I mean, my pick, late night my pick would be that Gan knocks out Ngannou in four in the fourth round. But I also I admit there's a really good chance that Ngannou completely you know murders him in the first. Yeah, it's a it, it really is a very very close fight on paper. This was like one of the last couple of fights on my list because the level of confidence is not strong. Ghana's never been taken down in the UFC. He's never allowed an opponent to attempt a submission on him. He outstruck most of an opponent's like two to one, three to one, even five to one. Um, and he's won by submission. He's won by knockout. He's won by decision, right? He's also shown the maturity and athleticism to go 25 minutes if he needs to. I think we're dealing with a pair of very special heavyweights here. Gone for his athleticism, finesse, and technique. And Ghana for his kind of different kind of athleticism, his power and instincts for counterpunching. Ngannou has 13 fights in the UFC. Gan has only seven, right? So Ngannou has almost twice as many fights. But Gan has spent 135 minutes over those seven fights uh, competing, and Ngannou's total fight time is about 70 minutes. So, like, 
even though Nganu has twice as many training camps, twice as many actual fights, twice as many walks to the octagon, Gan has... And you gotta, you gotta take those Derek Lewis minutes off of the card. <laughs> it's, a, it's, all, it's kind of a fair point. Although I, I do think there was uh, some valuable lessons learned through all those experiences for Nganu. Um, Gan has been in there for twice the time, man. So he's like got plenty of experience, even though he's only been doing the sport for about four, four years. Um, the one fight in which Nganu went 25 minutes, minutes, he was exhausted for about 20 of them against Stipe Miocic the first time. Whereas Gone has gone 25 minutes twice and looked fresh throughout that process. So Gone has racked up plenty of experience without taking much damage since his defense is so good. If Gone can get this fight to go past the 10 minute mark, the danger level I think goes down tremendously. For Ngana, the UFC contract issues could end up being a motivator, or they could have kind of a, a pressure, like just an added pressure effect on him. If he loses this fight, then he won't likely sign a UFC contract that pays him millions per fight like he fully expects to and, and plans to. On top of that, being on his mind, his old coach, uh, Fernando Lopez, has been playing mind games with him in the media saying derogatory things about his character, posting footage of him sparring Gon that made Gon look better than Nganu. I think those combination of factors give Gon the edge, but it only takes one clean Nganu punch uh, to win him a fight, regardless of any technical or mental edge he might be giving up in this fight. I'm torn because I'm I'm kind of rooting for Nganu in this negotiation with the UFC, in which a win could really help not only him, but potentially yeah. like future fighters in, in somewhat of a similar way that Conor McGregor kind of changed the landscape of the sport and what fighters could demand. But I also think that Gon is a truly special heavyweight who has the attributes to reign over the division for a while. Plus he's a great ambassador for the sport in France. Uh, look, all the technical breakdown in the world for this matchup could mean absolutely nothing. We saw Angano looked very impatient against Jarzinho Rosenstrike. He could win this fight, by just blitzing forward with, with, with like six power shots, right? His leg kicks could be a factor in this matchup. Obviously Gon's kicks are going to be a factor. If Gon keeps it at kicking range, that is going to be his key. Um, Nganu is an absolute expert. He has a hair trigger reaction to punches being thrown at him, right? Um, and Gon's jab could be that punch that gets the counter that might lead to the knockout in Nganu's favor. Um, but it's it, again, it's it, so many attributes here. Uh, I, I think Gon has a solid shot. I think the odds are a little bit too far in the favor uh, of, of uh, Gon. I think Nganu has a solid shot at defending his belt here. Oh yeah, this is very, yeah. This is I think this is very close to a pick. On yeah, I think uh, you and I are definitely on the same page there. But I agree with you on the pick. I, I actually put some money down on Gone back when they were almost uh, when it was almost a pick em fight because I, I I'm just gonna favor the more technical guy. But I have a general rule that in a close matchup, I tend to favor the most more dangerous guy. Um, so being an underdog man, there's there's definitely some potentially some money to be made, right? I mentioned that figure eight of decision plop at like plus plus four fifty plus four sixty. Um, Gone and Nganu going over two and a half rounds is even money, which I think is worth a, worth a couple of bucks. Nganu, the knockout prop is plus 175, Nick. When do you get that kind of opportunity with a guy like Nganu? I think uh, I think that's worth investing into as well as as well as maybe gone, uh, you know, to kind of hedge that bet. But uh, I agree with you on the pick. This was all the way down on my list, though. Uh, very little confidence in that one. It's hard to be confident in a matchup like that. Um, next, I'm going to pick in the... Trevin Giles, Michael Morales matchup. Um, Trevin Giles is actually making uh, making his first run at welterweight. He's cutting down for the first time in his career. Um, Morales is a contender series graduate. Juan is an underdog against the Kings MMA prospect. Only 22, but very composed and mature for that age. Trains with Brandon Moreno at Entrum Gym. He's actually going to be only the second Ecuadorian fighter in the UFC uh, after Cheeto Vera. 
patient counter game. We'll go for takedowns if buzzed on the feet. So pretty decent instincts, good jab, uh, good leg kicks can be backed up against the cage, uh, which is concerning. Tall and rangy for 170. Um, his slow starter thing is is kind of concerning me. Giles is like explosive. Uh, distant closing strikes are really effective, and I could see that working and backing up Morales. Um, very willing to engage in a grappling battle and has improved his aggression with ground and pound from top position, which I think is what won him the fight against Roman de Leeds. Um, I Giles is quite a bit older with UFC experience against good competition. Morales has potential, but I think this is kind of a, a, a rough first matchup. Uh, I, I'm going to go with the more experienced guy in this matchup. Even though he's changing, uh, changing weights. Yeah, uh, I, I don't necessarily see that as a bad thing. He never looked like a huge yeah. middleweight to me. Yeah, he didn't. And by the way, he at didn't. plus okay. one hundred five, I think Trevin Giles is worth a bet too, man. Like the, the guy's legit. I, I think maybe a decision prop is something to consider as well. Um, I think he's undervalued here, even though Morales is a talented kid. Cool. Well, we've got oh, this, is, this is the last pick, right? And then we've got the one extra fight. Uh, yeah, we got Matt Frivola, Gennaro Valdez, and uh, Vanessa Demopoulos versus Silvana Gomez Juarez left. Yeah, these are both super close. Um, although he got absolutely steamrolled in like seven seconds in his uh, in his last fight, and I don't know where that's put him psychologically. I still think Matt Frivola is a tough draw for a guy coming in off of contender series, um, despite which I think is the case for Valdez. I believe so. Um, so I do think it's a. I think this is. I think this has got uh, all the makings of a barn burner. I think it's going to be really good. I think it could totally be a split decision. I don't feel extremely confident in the pick, but I like Matt Frivola, a fighter we've uh, we've enjoyed. Um, recovering from that embarrassing knockout uh, six, you know, eight, eight months ago. He, t- he did take a lot of time off too, which is good. Uh, took off eight months. Um, I see him probably eking out a split decision against Valdez. Yeah, I mean, Favola's like pressure style could work in this one. Gennaro is actually a heavy hitter, but he's sloppy and his takedown defense isn't great. But Favola having a weak chin, like there's real risk there, right? Gennaro could just land a bomb, and it doesn't matter that Favola's more experienced or more skilled. I think Favola's more technical standing. He has the wrestling edge. Um, so I, I, agree, I agree with you on the pick. It's just hard to trust in his chin. It sounds like Favola's spent more time with Ray Longo leading into this matchup. I don't know if that's you know, better or worse for him, but it's just an interesting tidbit. I agree with you on the pick and, um, and at minus minus one ninety, I think odds are probably a little bit too wide. Maybe they're, maybe they're close to where they should be. Uh, and then we have that Vanessa Demopoulos, Silvana Gomez Juarez matchup. I think you and I both agreed when it was scheduled for last week that Silvana might have the slightest edge in a matchup. That's extremely hard to predict. Demopoulos is tough. She's gritty. She will never give up. She has good conditioning, but she's hittable. She's not aggressive enough at times. Her wrestling defense isn't great. She's not super technical. So, so uh, I like the less tested Gomez, who's older, but at least she's more technical there. <clears throat> no reason to change change the pick. Yeah, yeah, I'm there with you. Uh, Nikolai, that will do it for this card. Uh, next weekend, we have the semi-Nazi uh, Sean Strickland going up against uh, Jack Hermanson. Definitely going to be rooting for Jack Hermanson in that one. Uh, but Oh, God, but yeah. Sean Strickland hasn't, yeah, Sean Strickland has not done much to... Uh... Um, endear himself to anyone. Jeez. No, he's, he's almost like a real, like he's the real version of Kobe Covington. And in a lot of ways, he's, he's not as cringy, I guess. Like he just says kind of terrible things and has terrible, horrible opinions. He just seems, 
he just seems dangerous and scary. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's, he's got like a realness. To him. It's authentic, right? Like apparently raised by his Nazi grandfather who like, who like, you know, raised him to be a white supremacist and is not as racist anymore, right. but still misogynistic and, and still like pretty far right. in most of his views, like just not yeah. admittedly racist, I, I guess. I, I don't know. Uh, not, not, not a fan of his character. Not a, this card, this card is not a good card. Uh, no, uh, overall it's not. It does like just looking at some of these matchups. I think there's some exciting fights to be had. Um, but yeah, you're right, Duadu, Trezano is cool. Yep. Or Trezano. That's a, that's a cool fight. Um, Brian battle for the first time since he went tough. That's cool. Whoever made Phil Hawes, Sam Alvey. Like I know Phil Hawes it just got knocked out. He's probably coming back a little soon, <clears> but like how is Sam Alvey still around? Um, yeah. Yeah. Given his recent track record, Tim means versus Jeremiah Wells is going to be fucking exciting. Um, I think that there's something to be said about Shafkat Rahmanov versus Carlton Harris. That's a legit fight. Those are two serious prospects. Uh, let's see. We've got um, Brian Battle versus uh, Treason Gore. I don't know much about Trish, Trish, Trishon, I think, Gore. Um, oh, both of those guys are tough guys. But Brian Battle is a, is, is a pretty legit prospect from that tough season. You mentioned Trezano Duado is a good matchup. Um, let's see. Miles Johns, John Castaneda is going to be exciting, man, for sure. Erosa Steven Peterson's okay. Yeah, there, there, there are some decent fights on this card. Jason Witt, Philip Rowe, not but, super high level, but it'll be exciting. It'll be interesting between Witt's chin and Philip Rowe's size. Marc-Andre Mark Berriou versus Chidi and Jokwani. That's going to be a fucking exciting fight, no, no doubt about it. Punaheli Soriano, Nick Maximoff should be entertaining. Um, again, entertaining fact, entertainment factors there. There's not a whole lot of name value. There's a few prospects that I think are worth looking at, like Jeremiah Wells, to see how he does against the test, the really gritty veteran like Tim Means. Um, definitely, you know, Shafkat Rahmanov and Carlson Harris are both, again, serious, serious prospects. So some stuff to look forward to here. Just not a casual, fan-friendly event is what I'm going to say. And I, I, I actually think the, the the main event, despite like Sean Strickland being kind of a piece of shit of a human being, main event's a pretty high level middleweight bout. So I'm I am looking forward to that, especially with Hermanson coming off of that uh, rest, wrestling match against comes uh, up Chimaev. Um, I, I didn't think it was quite as much of a beating as most people did, uh, but you know it, this this should be an interesting matchup for multiple reasons. Nick, I'm looking forward to uh, going through the results of this next one. I'm looking forward to getting my lead back getting uh, things back to where they belong but I have to be the plucky underdog for another couple of weeks I don't know if you think I don't know if you think that's going to happen we pretty much agreed on all these picks so um, we'll see right. it'll come down to who picked who picked what when exactly um, but we'll see man I think I think my neck will still be sore next week I'll talk to you then brother looking forward to it later bud alright and three two one